Well, hey guys, will you stand up with us? We're going to sing to the Lord. Lift your voice. Sing to God who's worthy. This is the day that you have made. Whatever comes, I won't complain. For all my hope is in your name. And now your joy awaits my praise. I give thanks for all you have done. And I will sing of your mercy and your love. And your love is unfailing. Lord, I am grateful. When I was
here this morning. Let's thank our great God. What a great God we serve today. We are, we are thrilled that you're here today. You may be seated as we continue. Just a few announcements today. I, I'm just thrilled at what's happening around the church right now. I want to welcome everybody online. We're about uh, half and half right now. About half our people are joining online, and then the others are here. And I think there's another half on vacation. So we've got a little bit of everything going on right now. But I want to welcome you online, welcome you here in the service today. Just uh, by way of announcements, we, uh, we just have two, two announcements today. Number one is I want to say thank you to our children's ministry workers. Um, Kim and Chrissy are doing a fantastic job of reopening our children's ministry downstairs. And currently our children's ministry is only at the first hour, at the 9.30 hour on Sunday mornings. And, uh, but I just, I just want to say thank you as they begin to prepare. And they'll be opening up the next hour, opening up 11 o'clock here soon. But Chrissy's up here. Can we say thank you to Chrissy and Kim both? We appreciate you. And, and all of our teachers, all of our teachers. I see Eric, he helps out down there. We thank you guys. We appreciate you. And uh, our, our, you're a blessing to all of us with uh, the, the work that you're doing. It's making a difference in people's lives. And so we have Vacation Bible School Mega Sports Camp coming up. That'll be July 13th through the 17th. And so I want to encourage you to, uh, to if you have kids, to sign them up for that. This is going to be an outdoor event. They're, uh, they're doing this a little bit differently this year with a larger group of kids. I'd like to keep them spread out and, and uh, as we ease back into this thing. So that will be outside. Uh, it's going to be an incredible event. They've got a whole lot of plan for them. So go to the church website, sign your kid up. If you'd like to help, you can, you're more than welcome to help. See, come see Chrissy afterwards or Kim. They'll be in the foyer. You'll show their video before the service, and uh, you can uh, jump in to help out with them as well. They'll be glad to have your help. And then uh, I want to, at the end of that week, we're going to have the drive-in movie at the end of Vacation Bible School on that Friday night. That will be a abominable snowman will be out here on the parking lot, 30-foot screen, drive-in, FM transmitted to your car, or you can sit outside and enjoy the night. So that will all be up here on the parking lot on the uh, 17th of July. And I want to encourage you, sign up for that, make it a night. Uh, you can invite a friend up to this. It's a great way to introduce people to the church and, uh, and just have a nice Fan, fun family night yourself and, uh, and, and just all kind of fun stuff like that, all right? Secondly, I want to say thank you for, for your investment in our community. You've been giving and taking care of our community since day one of the pandemic. We opened up a food drive here, and from our church, we were able to give out more than a thousand bags of groceries. Can we thank God for that? A thousand bags from you guys. And uh, there was a team of people would come up, they would sort them, and every week we would take them down to the Blessings and a backpack that distributed from the school. So we're winding that up now, and then um, this uh, will continue, we'll take a few weeks break of that, and then we'll pick that back up in the fall as school reconvenes. Um, but right now they were, th- they were having a lunch program, so the kids were coming and picking up their lunches, and we would give bags of groceries to families as they picked up their lunches. So uh, we're thankful for the opportunity that we've had to do that. We were able to uh, participate. I have a nice little uh, clip here. This is from Ross Ferentz. He's the principal down here at the Gastonville Elementary North, and also with him is Danny. Danny is the uh, coordinator for Blessings and a Backpack. So I want you to just watch this message from these guys. I'd like to thank everybody from the church for making this opportunity uh, for our parents and our uh, students here. Uh, Once a week here, can't say enough thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I know our parents, our families uh, are really thankful for all the donations that everyone has made to us, along with Danny with our blessings in the backpack and uh, and the church. Hey, Chad. 
same thing. Just a great big thank you. Thank you for everything you've done to help our community. Um, all the support, all the generosity, all the kindness before this and during all this during difficult time. So thank exactly. you very much. Thank you. Can we thank God for that? What a great impact you've had on the community, folks. And, uh, and to be able to continue to do the things like that. We had the blessings of hope where we were able to give out just a ton of food. Actually, literally a ton. Several tons of food came in on trucks. And people came up and picked it up. Others, we went out and took it to the community. And so we're just so thankful for the opportunities that we've had throughout this pandemic. And uh, we're looking for future opportunities. So I want you to continue to pray. And I want to say thank you for your giving. You've been faithful to give. Even though we're not passing the offering plate down the aisle, you've been faithful with giving. Even though we didn't even have church open, you were faithful in your giving. And so the scripture talks a lot about that. It says, you know, giving's important. and says that your faithfulness is important. And I want to say, like the Apostle Paul said, Thank you for your faithfulness and giving. And so there's offering boxes on the wall for those that are here in the, in the auditorium, one in the back of the auditorium, one in the foyer. You can give online or you can give through the mail. So uh, I want to say thank you to those of you that are here, those of you that are online. Thank you for your faithfulness in giving and your faithfulness to the mission that God's called us to do. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for these moments that we have together to, uh, to worship you, to honor you, to, uh, to just truly commit to what you've called us to do. So God, right now we, uh, we lift up to you our community. We thank you for the opportunity that we've had to, to be the hands and feet of Jesus, to, to take food to the community, to help people and uh, help people in, in need. And Lord, I'm sure that the needs will continue. The needs will become greater as the days go forward. So, Lord, help us to be the hands and feet of the church, that we'll be out there and we will do what you've called us to do, to minister to people here and around the globe. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you for your faithful people, Lord, as they have responded to you through their giving and through their hearts. So, Lord, we just ask now that uh, as we continue to serve you, that you'll be blessed by the worship and by the words that uh, come from our heart and our mouth today. In your name we pray. Amen.
you're great. We marvel at your wonder and at your splendor. and We love you, Lord. I just ask that you would soften our hearts, that we would hear your word, that we would hear the words that you would have for us, Lord. We love you and we thank you for your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Aren't you glad to be here today? Welcome online. Aren't you glad to be on your couch today? All right. Or on your swimming pool, wherever you're at. We're glad that you're here today. And as we join in and look at flannel graph faith. For those of you that are just joining us, flannel graph was this uh, little story stuff that they used to use to help tell stories. It looked like these characters. It looked about these colors, uh, colors all right? And then uh, and you used to put them on a felt board. And it was the iPad of the day, if you will, okay? It just made, it, made the Bible come alive. And as I've been going through and studying some of these, these, uh, these passages in the Bible, we, many people call them stories of the Bible. But I don't like to call them stories. They're not stories. They're histories. They're the history of, of, of God's people, and they're history of how God moved and how God worked. So I want you to catch some of the histories today as we go through this. And today I've gone to... Um, to digital flannel graph. So it's going to be all digital today. It's going to be, there's a lot of pictures coming your way. So um, uh, Tracy's back there on the computer today. She made me aware of exactly how many pictures I gave her today. So can you give her a hand? She's getting a workout today. Thank you, Tracy. All right, so Tracy's going to have a fun time back there. Um, And she did really good. First service, she kept up with me. And, uh, and I didn't even keep up with me, so she did good. So the flannel graph faith, we're talking in the book of Daniel today. And as I look at this, it just has come alive to me. Go to Daniel chapter 1. I'll have it up here on the screen. You can also look it up in your Bible. But as we take these from God's Word, I just want to remind you of the truth of God's Word here today. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim was not a, a king that followed God, uh, over the nation of Israel, king of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. Verse 2, the Lord handed Jehoiakim of Judah over to him along with some of the vessels from the house of God. So some of the, some of the, uh, the items in the house of God went off. They got deported. Jehoiakim, some of the nobles, the scriptures tell us the noble people, they took uh, some of the leadership and they deported them. They actually took them from their home several hundred miles away to, this, uh, to the Babylonian Empire, to the center, to headquarters where Nebuchadnezzar's at, all right? Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessel in the treasury of his God. So it says that the Lord handed him over, the Lord gave him over. And you look at this, and this was absolutely terrible. 
It's about 605 B.C., 605 B.C. You can go through it, and I love when the Bible gives you time markers like that, okay? Um, in the third year of the king of Jehoiakim, this happened. So there's a time marker. That's what I'm telling you. This is histories. And so you look at it, and you can go back. You can trace to the days that these things happened. They deport the leadership of Israel. The, uh, the, this is an oppression on Israel. Now they are under the Babylonian rule during this time. And so off goes these, uh, the, 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 some of the nobles, some of the things of the house of God, and he takes them and he puts them under the treasury of his God. Puts it under the treasury of their false gods. And notice the small g there, all right? Puts it under, the, uh, under their gods, and, uh, and this is the, the sad situation. So our first final graph picture here, okay? King Nebuchadnezzar. And, and when I was a kid, they, they would tell you these stories, and it, it, like, it would come alive to you because you got to see that, hey, listen, there, there was something real here. These kings actually lived, and these people actually did this. And as we jump into this today, I want to remind you that there were, there were four men who, uh, who were a part of this deportation that were absolutely faithful to God. Their name were da- Daniel, and you know the other three is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that were not their Hebrew names. That was their Babylonian names. And what they would do, that whenever they were deported, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonians, would come and say, I don't want you to be a part of that culture anymore. You're going to be a part of the Babylonian culture. And we're going to start by changing your name. And so they would change your name. So that's where you get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It wasn't their Hebrew name. It was their Babylonian name. We just somehow remember that a little bit easier than their, the, you know, their name or Mishael. And I'll read them here in just a little bit, all right? But uh, the, here's what happened. God gave them over. And I want you to think about that because verse 1 said that God gave them over. We'll go back to verse 1 there real quick. In the third year of the, I'm sorry, verse 2, the Lord handed King Jehoiakim over. It was the Lord who was doing this. It was the Lord who gave him over. When God is doing something like this, wait a minute, why, is, why does the Scripture say that God did this? This was really bad. I thought God doesn't hurt people. He wasn't trying to hurt them. He told Jeremiah, the prophet, he said, my plans are not to harm you. My plans are to prosper you. This is my plan for you. God handed Jehoiakim over. He did not follow God. He handed the nation over under the Babylonian reign, under this King Nebuchadnezzar, because God, this is a reminder that God is in control, that God is, he's, he's providing comfort in a time of grief. This is a tremendous moment of grief for his people, but God is providing comfort when he says, the Lord did this. The next thing is it's like a healing salve. You know, when you have a wound and you put a little bit of salve on it, and helps to heal it. It's healing the pain of the wound because it's like, wow, who's in charge right now? God is in charge. Life was not worth living at this moment. And God reminds them that I, the God of Israel, I, the God of Jacob, I am the one who have allowed this to happen. I have let them go off to these problems. And I want you to think about that because today we're living in the world of problems, aren't we not? And we're, we're living in the world of, uh, you know, we don't know which end is up, which end is down. And yet we are, we are moving forward. As we're moving forward, we're just trying to figure this thing out. We say, God, where are you right now? And may I share you this, that the God, this is a simple reminder. Because the time for Israel at this moment was much more bleak than what we're facing. It was a horrific moment that, uh, that they didn't even want to live. And God says, the Lord handed them over. That's, that's a hard thing, but this is what God was doing. Why? Because he loved his people. He said, I'm trying to bring my people back to me. I'm tr- bring, trying to bring my people close to me. 
So these four young men, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they started to live for God. And they said, we, they had been, when they were little, there was a different king. Jehoiakim was the bad king. Well, the kings before him, there were a couple good kings. And they were under some good kings. So they were under some times whenever they learned the word of God. They were under times whenever they understood repentance, when they understood things of this nature. They understood the fear of God. They're deported now. They're in a foreign land. They don't want to be there. It's a horrific time, and here's Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they say, uh, they're, they're, they bring out this food for them to eat, and the food that they were to eat was not kosher, okay? It wasn't the clean food that they were supposed to eat. In the Old Testament, you see this kosher food that they would eat, so it wasn't kosher. And so they said, we're, we're just not going to eat that. We're going to eat fruits and vegetables only. And so and you go into chapter 1, and you read about this whole thing. They said, we're only going to eat the fruits and vegetables and water. Now, you know, if that were us, we'd be there and we'd say, well, look at all this great food. They're handing off all this fat, high, high-fat food and, you know, good steaks everywhere and this wine and all this stuff. And God says, no, 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 I want you to do this. And so they go and they negotiate with the leader, and he keeps eating, and they, they, he gets some fruits and vegetables for 10 days. And, and if you've ever taken a Daniel fast, you've ever heard of a Daniel fast? This is where it comes from, Daniel chapter 1. A Daniel fast is when you eat nothing but fruits and vegetables and water for, for a period of time. Um, and, and so I'm not the biggest Daniel faster, obviously, right? So, but it, it's like, wow, the, these people here, uh, he went in and he said, this is what I'm going to do. And at the end of the 10 days, their leadership came. The guy who was in charge of them comes back and says, listen, you're, you're pretty good. You guys look better than everybody else. You, you don't look any weaker. You, this food has actually nourished you, and so I'll keep feeding you this. And so what happened was the Lord had favor, and the Lord gave them. Look here at Daniel 1.17. The Lord God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding in every kind of literature and wisdom. So not only were they being healthy, they're following God, they're obeying the Lord, and God gives them this wisdom in, in literature, understanding. They were going through the schooling and everything in Babylon. They were smart. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. So Daniel was able to understand that if somebody had a vision or a dream, he could interpret these things. Daniel went to his house, and now check this out here in, uh, in verse 18. It jumps down here. Um, and, and what happened was Daniel had an understanding of the, of the visions and dream. You go over to chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And so King Nebuchadnezzar comes before all, all the magi of the day, all his Babylonian magi, and all the people who were, who were the smart people and the people that could interpret visions and dreams. And he comes to them and says, listen, I've had a dream, and who, uh, you guys have got to interpret it. If you don't interpret it, you're going to die. Now, here's just one twist to this. I'm not going to tell you the dream. You got to tell me what I dreamed, and you got to tell me what 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 it means. And the magi are like, nobody can do this. Like we can't read your mind. We can interpret your dream, but you have to tell us what you dreamed. So they find out that Daniel can interpret dreams. Like like he, Daniel had a good reputation, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These four guys had a great reputation, even amongst the enemy. I want you to catch that. I think that's an important thing to remember. They're embedded. And they were doing right before God. It reminds me in Luke 2.52 when Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Like he, 
he learned how to deal with people. Daniel did that. And so, so they called Daniel and they said, Daniel, come over here. And, and they, come, they bring Daniel before the king. And, and Daniel's before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar says, listen, if you don't, uh, if you don't interpret my dream, uh, if you don't tell me what I dreamed and don't interpret it, you're going to die. And so will all these other Babylonian magi. All of you. I'm done with you. That's kind of a cool way to deal with it, right? You don't like them, just wipe them out, right? So that's what he was going to do. So Daniel, look what Daniel does here. I think this is so powerful. Verse 18. Daniel went to his house and told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is their Hebrew names. He tells them about the matter. Now, folks, this is where many good people stop. They have a problem, and they go and they talk to their friends, and that's it. Like, they, they just come and they... They revel in the matter, and they discuss the matter, and they cry about the matter, but they stop right there. But I want you to see what Daniel did. Daniel did something really powerful. Look what the verse continues. He went to them, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. He said, would you pray with me? Would you pray that God will help me to do what he's called me to do? They didn't. Could you imagine if Daniel just took, you want to talk about a burden. You want to talk about a life's decision. His life is on the line. He's going to die tomorrow if he doesn't have an answer to this dream. He could have been crying. He could have been saying, hey, uh, why don't you you help me feel better about this? I'm going to die tomorrow. He could have went through all this. He says, would you seek the God of heaven with me so that I may serve the Lord God Almighty? So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed. He says, pray that we would not be destroyed with the rest of the Babylonian wise men. The mystery, verse 19, the mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And Daniel praised the God of the heavens. Daniel comes and he praises the Lord God. He says, listen, okay, God, you gave me the, you gave me the dream. You've told me what that man has dreamed. And in the dream, in his prayer, it's so interesting, chapter 2, verse 20, it says that, uh, it, that he praises God and he says, oh God, you set up kings and you remove kings. And I want you to catch that because Daniel has got confidence and he's saying, listen, there's the sovereignty of God that is overriding King Nebuchadnezzar. And the sovereignty of God. And so he, he takes the dream, and, and the dream is somewhat threatening to Nebuchadnezzar because he's realizing that he's not going to be there forever and, and that there will be an end of his reign. And, and so, so Nebuchadnezzar has to deal with this, but, but he goes before the king. And, and just imagine that Nebuchadnezzar, as he's in, uh, in those days, uh, trying to rule and trying to build himself up. And what he did was uh, he tried to set himself up. David, I'm sorry, Daniel says that... that God sets up kings, and he removes kings. Well, let me tell you what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. He was trying to set himself up. He goes out, and he builds a statue of gold, a golden statue that is 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. You go and you read that in Daniel chapter 2 and 3 there. Uh, he, He builds a statue 90 feet tall. Now, just to give you a little perspective today, from the floor where you're sitting in the auditorium, to the peak of the auditorium right there to the very center is 20 foot 5 inches, according to Jim Watts, okay? And you know how Jim Watts can be? It is 20 foot 5, not 5 and a half, 20 foot 5 inches. Now look up there at that point, 
and take that up times four and a half. Ninety feet high. In that day, this was unheard of. Nine feet wide. Gold statue. Nine feet wide. It was a needle that erected into the sky. That doorway that you came in was six foot. Uh, just a foot and a half wider on either side of that doorway. Nine foot. So this, this was, they didn't have skyscrapers in that day. They didn't have uh, the technology that we have. He builds this great thing as a monument to himself, and, uh, and he comes up with an idea. He says he calls together all the leaders, and he pulls all the, all the, the scriptures called them the satraps and the, the governors, and basically they were all the officials. And he pulls all the official people together, and he says, listen, here, here's, here's what's going to happen. I want to call all the place together. I want to call all the nation together. And whenever the nation comes be- together, the herald will come out and he will read. And, he will, and, uh, and, and as he reads, the trumpets will blow and then everybody will bow down and worship. So Nebuchadnezzar, he makes this proclamation that, that all these trumpets would blow and that they would sound. And uh, at the sound of those trumpets, whenever those trumpets would sound, that everybody would stop what they were doing and bow down and worship a false god, worship this idol. Israelites, Babylonians, you were deported, you're here, this is the way it goes. So what's he do? He gets the herald out. The herald goes out. He gathers up all the officials together first. And then as, as the officials uh, gather together, out come the trumpets they begin to play the trumpets, and the, and the band plays. And as they start to play all their, uh, all their music, um, you all of a sudden see, and I'll show this picture of the statue here, number 18. The statue of the, uh, uh, just, just imagine what that would have been like in that day with all the people gathering around. He says, I want everybody to bow down and worship this thing. So the herald comes out, and he does his reading. And then the band plays every instrument, and it, t- and it goes through every kind of instrument that plays. And then all of a sudden, everybody and the whole nation bows down and worships. But yet, there was a group of men called the Chaldeans. And these Chaldeans, they, as they're worshiping, they start to notice, hey, there's a couple people that aren't worshiping over there. And, uh, and, and then they, they say, look, there they are. There's three guys. And it's that Shadrach, Meshach. And Abednego. And, and, and they had been given, because Daniel was successful in interpreting the dream, they had been given favor with King Nebuchadnezzar. They, they, uh, he, he let them have like a little bit of leadership. And so these three guys were not following the king's command. And so they, they, uh, a couple guys come before the king, and they come in, they bow down in front of the king, and they say, Oh, Lord Nebuchadnezzar, oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live long. And as they, as they go through, you can read this in uh, chapter 3, of uh, Daniel 2 and 3. And they, they come before the king and they said, listen, you made an edict. But however, there are several people that are not worshiping. You, and, and listen, he made an edict. Here was the edict. You will worship at, when those trumpets blow or you will be thrown into the fiery furnace. He didn't make a furnace for execution. He had a furnace, and the reason that he built the furnace was for industry. It was a brick kiln, okay? Uh, and the average temperature in this furnace was 1,300 degrees. It was an industrial big old furnace. And they would make their block. They would make their brick, right? 1,300 degrees was their average temperature. He come to him and says, you said that you would throw whoever didn't worship into the furnace. We know of three guys who haven't. 
So the scripture says that Nebuchadnezzar becomes enraged. He's furious. He says, go get those men and bring them to me. So they bring those three men in, and, and it's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they bring them in, and, he's, and he has this discussion to them. As a matter of fact, he gets, he's, in, he's enraged. He's furious, the scripture says. Daniel 3.13 says that in, fur- in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I have set up? Is it true that you're not going to follow, you're not going to comply? Is it true that you're not going to bow down and worship this image, this golden image that I have made that is more powerful? It's the greatest monument to man at this point in time. Is that you? Well, let me tell you, he says. He says, now, if you're ready. Now, I realize that you didn't worship the first time, and I should have thrown you into the fire already. But if you're ready... When you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the harp, the drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue that I made. But if you don't worship it, you will be immediately thrown into the furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God who can rescue you from my power? And folks, that is a very key thought. Who is the God that can rescue you from my power. I'm trying to think if we were in that day, if that happened today, would we just go through the motions? Like, would we just do the outward sign just to be able to get food? We just do the outward sign just to be able to, to, to get through it all? Um, he says, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw you in the fire if you don't worship, and where's your God now? And look how Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego reply. Nebuchadnezzar, We don't need to give you an answer to this question. (laughs) Don't you love that? (laughs) We, nah, 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 nah. (laughs) You know, our God's bigger than yours. Your 90-foot statue ain't nothing for our God. We don't even have to answer you. However, look, if the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us. He doesn't say that he will. He says if he exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of the blazing fire. And he can rescue us from the power of you, almighty king. He can rescue us. If he exists, he can. And I think if it stopped at verse 17, that's a great place to stop. Because, man, listen, they're going to they're gonna follow through. God can do this. But, listen, they had no clue that God was going to do anything. They said that he is able. Our God is able. They looked at the worst of circumstances, they looked at the world falling apart, they looked at their life on the line and said, he is able. Folks, this is where our life has got to have faith. We have to come and put ourselves right here. We look at the problems and we say, God, you are able. And it does not mean that he will do what I want him to do when I want him to do it. It means that he is able able. And this next verse is so powerful. I'd be memorizing this verse because I already have. Even if he does not rescue us, we want you as the king to know 
that we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. You may arrest us. You may threaten us with fire. Even if he does not rescue us, he's still able. And we are resolved to worship our God. Folks, I have watched many well-meaning people run away from God in the face of trouble because they didn't understand verse 18. They didn't understand that God didn't promise to rescue. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was here, he said, in this world you will have trouble and I will give you peace. God is the one who gives us peace. Even if you don't, we still have peace and we will worship God. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He gave orders to heat the furnace seven times more than was customary. Check out his mean face. (laughs) Scared Dan. Take it easy, all right? Dan's a little scared down there. And he commanded some of the best soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the fiery, to the fiery furnace. So these men in their trousers, their robes, and their coverings and, and other clothes were tied up and thrown into the blazing fire. 1,300 degree furnace. Hey, up at seven times. You tell me how hot that's going to be. Uh, Jim Watts was telling me it's what it takes to melt steel. He said, he said that was pretty hot. I mean, seven times a 1,300-degree thing. He goes, man, listen, you're talking some high, high heat here. So these men in their trousers, they were covered. They were tied up, and they were thrown in. So here they come. They're into the fiery furnace. And so they tie them up. The soldiers come, and they tie them up, and they carry them up before the furnace. And, uh, And they begin to toss them in one. In goes Shadrach. In goes Meshach. In goes Abednego. And they throw these guys into the fiery furnace. And, uh, and listen, this was crazy. Look what happens here. Daniel 3.22, since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into, into the blazing fire. And just imagine, you know, you're like you're firing up a furnace and all of a sudden it goes, boof. Okay? We had a little experience like that this summer at our house. My daughter and her boyfriend, were, were, they put a grill together. We got this new grill, okay? And, and I, they said, can we light it the first time? I said, go ahead. And they turned on burner one, burner two, burner three, burner four, and they left the lid down. And then they hit this click, 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 click. And I'm like in the living room, and I hear this boom. And I go out, and there's this guy. He's got hair going off his arm. It's amazing, this guy. <laughs> and I want to share with you that that's what happened with the furnace, man. It was like this, this crazy, this, this, this flame comes out and actually kills these guys. The, the people who threw them in were actually killed. And, and look here, uh, as, as, as they're watching, the, the king is watching, King Nebuchadnezzar is watching, and he's trying to get a, a more closeful eye a watchful eye as to what's happening inside the furnace. He can't get too terribly close because he doesn't want to die himself with all the, the burst of the flames. But as he gets to a point, the, 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 all his leadership, they go running down there, and he gets up and he gets a good close look, and he says, oh my, look into that furnace. Take a look at what I'm seeing. 
Nebuchadnezzar, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar jumped in alarm. Then he said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound up in the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, the king replied. He exclaimed, look, I see four men, not tied, walking around in the fire, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. So Shad, Nebuchadnezzar approached the door of the furnace of the blazing fire and called Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he says, you servants of the Most High God, come on out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire. Think about this. There's, they put three men in there, and there's one. Looks like something spiritual, he says. Some Old Testament theologians believe this, that that was a Christophany. Like that could have been Jesus showing up there before he was ever born. Remember we said that Jesus always existed. He always was. He was present at creation. Like that could have been Jesus, the second person of the Trinity showing up there. At minimum, we know that God sent an angel there. And what we see is that God is with us through our troubles, folks. You have troubles. God didn't say, I'll take away the fire. He said, I'll give you my presence. When the, when the satraps, the prefects, the, the governors, and, and all the kings and the advisors gathered around, um, they saw that they, that they had no effect of smoke. So these guys come out of the fiery furnace. And uh, they see that they have no effect of smoke on them. They don't even smell like smoke. Their hair's not singed. I mean, we get singed just up next to the, when, when, when you blow up a, a little barbecue in the backyard, right? Ima- imagine what happened in there. And they don't even smell. They don't even smell like smoke. You know, if you've been around a campfire, I can smell that a mile away. He says, they don't even smell like smoke. And so these, these guys are overwhelmed. And then Nebuchadnezzar gets down on the ground, and he cries out to the Lord, and he says, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, for he sent his angel and rescued his servant who trust in him. Folks, that's where we've got to go. We've got to take our faith to trusting in God. It's one thing to know these stories. It's another thing to actually trust in our God. That's what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. These three men, they went in and they trusted in God, and God delivers. Next verse here. They violated the king's command, and they risked their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own. Next verse there, all right? Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn from limb to limb, and his house will be made a garbage dump. For there is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. And you know what? I want, I want to give you a few thoughts here today as we wrap this up. Um, we're we're going to close today with a, with a baptism in just a few moments. Somebody's getting baptized. I'm pretty excited. Bob Collins is going to get baptized in a few moments. Can we, can we give him a hand? I'm excited for him, man. He's, it's a big deal. Big deal today. But what I want, I, want, I want to give you this here before we go to the baptism. I want you to catch this. When troubles come, run to God. See, folks, I didn't say if troubles come, it's when. The scripture says in this world you will have troubles. When, when troubles come, we either run to God or we run away from God. 
There's, there's no option. When troubles come, we either run to God or we run away from God. So I want to encourage you, don't be the running away. Listen, it would have been so easy for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to, uh, to not have prayed, to have gone to worry, to just talk to their friends, to just make themselves feel better, to go through the motions and, and just get to eat the king's food and get what I want and just survive. But God doesn't want you to just survive. He wants you to thrive. And you can't thrive with what you're surviving. You think you're surviving, and you're not. You're, 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 you're barely existing. God says, I want you to thrive. And the only way you're going to thrive is by knowing me and, and, and enjoying the, the presence of, my, uh, of who I am. I love that in Daniel 2, 18. The, 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 he goes, he takes the problem to his friends, and he says, I'm urging you to plead with this before the Lord God. The next verse there. I'm urging you to take this before God when the dream happened. And so whenever they, they were going into the furnace, they were locked up, man. They were hands tied going right down there. And God says, listen, there's fire coming in your life. And the easy way is not the best way. The easy way, my friends, is rarely the best way. I want you to think about that today. The easy way and anything in your life, easy is rarely the best. Anything that you have to do is going to require some effort. It's going to require some pain. going to require some grief. Easy way is rarely the best way. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us, he says. However, if not, if not, I love that verse 18. If, even if he does not rescue us, we will not bow down to your gods. Folks, compromise will never, ever win victory. You'll never win victory by compromise. In your personal life, your personal struggles, victory is always going to be through faith. It will not be through the easy way out. Don't fear the power of other people. Listen, many people today fear the power of lesser gods. Don't bow down to lesser gods. Bow down to God and God alone. You know what the gods that people bow down to today are? They bow down to the God of alcohol. They bow down to the God of drugs, to the God of career to the God of relationship, to the God of materialism, to the God of pleasure. God says, don't bow down to those. You know why they're an idol? Because you think if you give them something, that you're going to get something back. And God says, give your heart to me. And God doesn't owe us any change of circumstances, but he's given you eternal life. I love 1 John 4, 4. You have conquered. You have conquered because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. My friends, the answer is in the cross. Jesus died on the cross. He paid for your sin once for all forever. And he gave you this opportunity to have a relationship with him. And as he did that, that day on the cross, he paid the price for your sin. He paid the penalty. He took care of the power of sin. All you got to do is trust him. Give him your heart today. And I want to encourage you to do that. Uh, you're going to hear this story here in just a few moments of, of Bob Collins' story. And it's powerful because it's what Jesus did, and it's the resurrected Lord. Had it stopped on the cross, we wouldn't be here today, folks. Jesus was buried. Three days later, he rose again. And he promises victory, not the way you want it to be, but victory on his terms. Amen? Let's close in prayer. As we prepare for a baptism, I want you to prepare your heart to hear, hear this story in just a moment. And I want to ask you to, uh, to respond to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords. Jesus paid the price for your sin once for all forever. 
so that you may have power. God has, uh, God has given you power to overcome. Faith is the victory. And I'm going to ask you to place your faith in Jesus Christ today. Because it was him who died on the cross. He paid for your sin. And he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You know, God did that. Not because you earned it, but because he loves you. It's his amazing grace. And he's asked you to reach out by faith today and receive his amazing grace. His testimony at this time as the piano continues to play. Hi, my name's Bob Cullen, and my story begins in New Jersey, where I was born and raised into a very loving and supportive Irish Catholic family. I moved to Pittsburgh in 1984, right after college, met my wife Chris of 32 years, and we have two sons, Tom and Jim. My journey here at Crossroads started on New Year's Eve of 2016. Chris and I were at Lisa and Rick Muser's house for a New Year's Eve party, along with Joey and Rob Ewing 
several other friends. And somehow we got talking about religion and the Musers started to describe their experience at Crossroads. And it happened that the Ewings had introduced the Musers to Crossroads about a year earlier. And as I sat there and watched them and listened to them explain their experiences at Crossroads, I just became more and more intrigued. So the following Sunday, January 7th, 2017, I attended my first service here. And it was interesting because as I was walking in, I ran into the Musers and Rick said to me, you know, I was going to call you last night and invite you to church today. Now, that isn't a sign. I don't know what is. But, you know, from the moment I walked through these doors, everyone was so friendly and welcoming. I just felt right at home. And then when I listened to Pastor Ken's sermon, it was like he was speaking directly to me. And I think it's uh, Pastor Jim who coined the phrase, it's like he's reading my emails. And boy, is that spot on. You know, I have learned so much over the last three and a half years, and my faith has grown so much stronger. Just the knowledge that I've gained of my faith, I mean, so much more than the previous 55 years. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and every morning I end my prayers with the serenity prayer. And if anyone's ever been to an AA meeting, you know we end the meetings with the first verse of the serenity prayer which is, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The second verse is living one day at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, and taking, as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as I would have it. The third and final verse is trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will, that I will be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you in the next. And it's this third and final verse that I struggle with the most and I'd like to explain why. I'm a very independent, self-reliant individual who always has to be in control and to trust somebody else to do something for me just isn't in my nature and surrender has always had a negative connotation to me it means to fail to give up to lose control and that's definitely not my dna however the times when i have trusted in god and surrendered to his will the pain the anxiety the depression it's all been washed away and it's been replaced with a peace and a joy that is just indescribable. Am I reasonably happy in this life? Let's see. I have a wife, Chris, who loves me with all her heart and has stood by me in good times and in bad, and whose heart I've broken on more occasions than I'd like to admit. I have two sons, Tom and Jim, who I'm so very proud of and who I love more than life itself. I have family and friends who love me and care for me despite all my flaws. I own a business that has allowed me to provide for my family and it's allowed me to see the world. And I found a faith community that I can call home and that's Crossroads.
will I be supremely happy in the next life with God? I know the answer to that is yes, because I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, and God loves me despite all my flaws. So am I reasonably happy in this life? No, I am truly blessed. At baptisms, Pastor Ken always says it's an outward sign of an inward decision. My journey to this inward decision started on January 7th, 2017, the day I walked into these doors and into this family that's crossroads. My only hope is that my outward sign would allow others to experience the same joy and peace that I've been able to receive by the grace of God. Man, can we thank God for that? Bob, thank you for your testimony this morning. Thank you for sharing your, your love for Jesus and that you have trusted him. So based upon your profession of faith and obedience to the Lord's command, I now baptize my brother in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of Christ's death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Isn't that awesome? Now let's sing Amazing Grace together. Let's just powerhouse it to God, all right? Please stand with us. Please stand with us and sing. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. God bless you. You are dismissed.